Recording in progress. Father God, in the name of your son, Christ Jesus, we just come before you, Lord, submitted, humbled, broken, just seated in a place that is yielded to your spirit, yielded to your direction and your insight. Father, here we are, and we are mercifully and mercifully submitted, my God, because of your grace, because of your mercy, because of your loving kindness. We pray against every distraction. We pray against every lie of the enemy. We exalt you to the highest place. We exalt your son to the highest place. We exalt your spirit to the highest place. We pray, Father God, for the capacity to stay mission-focused, Lord, to be completely consumed by your ways and your will. We pray against every errant movement in our heart, my God. We pray against every ungodliness. We pray against every immaturity and every unclean thought, my God. We pray against the commonplace, my God. May we always operate in the holy place, Lord. We're praying right now for forgiveness and mercy upon each and every one of us. I pray for an ongoing movement of maturity in each and every soul that's here, that your glory, that your majesty, that your grace, no matter what our age, no matter what our gender, no matter what our national background, my God, we come together as one united under your spirit, completely submitted, my God, to you. We exalt you. We lift you up. We declare you holy. We declare your majesty above all else. And Father, that's our focus, to bring glory to your Son and to seek first the kingdom and the righteousness there within. And Father God, I pray against every folly spirit, my God. I pray against every insecurity right now. I pray against every loveless spirit. I pray against every dysfunction. I pray against every trauma. I pray, Father God, against every insecurity, every doubt, every worry. My God, I, I pray against every fear and every anxiety right now in the mighty name of Jesus. I pray a transference of authority and power, my God. May it rest upon the souls that are open in their heart to this movement that you're doing, my God. I pray for a purification of motive right now in the mighty name of Jesus that we would stay focused, Lord seeing you in your glory, my God, in your glory, seeing you in your holiness and in your perfection, seeing you, Father God, I pray against every fogginess of thought. I pray against every dyslexic movement in our spiritual walk. I pray, Father God, for order, a spirit of order and decency in each and every one of our souls right now in the mighty name of Jesus, that we might come into a right likeness of Christ, that the world may know that Christ is alive and that he is alive and that he is alive in us. And so I pray against every thought that introduces doubt. I pray against every thought that introduces insecurity. I pray, Father God, that you teach us to gird the loins of our mind, that the birthing place of our thought process might be completely submitted to your glory, and that we might continue to roll, continue to roll forward, my God, rolling forward, ever forward, rolling ever forward towards the day of your coming, the day of your appearance, the day of your second coming. Father, we pray and we ask for the love of Christ to overshadow each and every one of us as well, Lord. May we let down all of our grievances, may God, and we put down all of our weapons of warfare against each other, my God, and that we might be able to love one another in peace and in joy in the fullness of Christ. I pray for the oneness of the body and the oneness 
of all the saints that are alive on earth today to be able in one voice to declare you worthy, Lord, to receive all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. Father God, may man be ignored for his glory, that you might be elevated to your glory, that you might be able to manifest your glory through us. And may it always be your glory that is manifested. And may we take no personal credit for it because we all know that it originated with you. We pray, Father God, against everything that would otherwise divide us. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And the body of Christ says, can we get an amen in the house of the Lord? Amen. 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 Praise God. Praise God. Saints, um, this is something that we all probably should have learned in the very beginning of our walk. But here we are now finding ourselves learning it kind of later in our walk. And some of us, we may know this, but because our foundations and our work weren't built around it, it's hard for us to get to this place. What place is that? That place where you're mission focused, where you're, we already learned yesterday that they met every day in the temple courts. And most of us, if we are honest the way we came up in the Lord, we didn't come up in the Lord with the idea that it was every day that we were going to be going to church. We didn't go to church every day. I mean, we went to church two, three times a week, okay? And church service is usually a couple of hours, and then we left. And then we have some hardcore Pentecostal churches, right, that meet a little bit more frequently, amen? But these brothers and sisters were meeting every single day in the temple courts. Nobody's encouraging that you go to church every single day. Actually, I'm not discouraging it either. But the point is, we came to God with this idea that we give him a degree of tribute and then he blesses our life, and then we go on with our life. But that's really not the way it works, you see. The way it works is the reason why they met every day in the temple courts is because they were trying to imitate Jesus. See, now you go to a church, there's an altar, and there's an altar in the front of the room. And I was, and you know, I used to preach on an altar, and then God had me step down from the altar and preach on the level of the people, okay? And I don't know, some of you know this story, but I will share it with you again. I was preaching on the top of the altar, the lectern preaching, and I was reading off a piece of paper. And the Lord was like, I don't need you reading off that paper anymore. I need you to descend down to the people and preach what I tell you. Now, he didn't say that in exact words. This is how God spoke to me. As I'm up there, I can feel whether the anointing is flowing or not. And I didn't feel a connection with the people. I didn't feel any connection. I didn't feel the anointing was flowing at all. So I would step down off the lectern to try to get the attention of the people. I have a gift in preaching, pastoring, uh, apostolic anointing. This is not to my glory. It's to God's glory. I didn't really do anything to earn it. I didn't go to seminary. I didn't um, go to theological school. You know, I was raised in a very, very cessationist, legalistic ministry that didn't even believe in the proper movement of the Holy Spirit. So it's clearly a gift because there's nothing I did in my life that would have justified me having this gift. Other than that, God gave it to me graciously. Gifts are given without repentance. And so I could tell when I was connected and we were flowing, and I could tell when we were not connected and we were not flowing. So what I would do is I would step down from off the pulpit and step down to the level of the people. And soon as I did that, I could feel the spirit start to raise. I was like, wow, that's very interesting. So I would start to preach there. But of course, the paper is back on the lectern, on the, is back on the pulpit, on the lectern. So I don't have the paper. Now I'm just preaching. 
and I'm preaching from whatever I feel is going to build the right connection in the spirit. And it was effective. The ministry was growing, and I every week I would get up there, and I would start on the lectern with my little three-point sermon, and nothing would happen. But when I stepped down to the level of the people, all of a sudden the spirit of God would start to flow. So that's how God communicated to me. I don't want you preaching off a piece of paper no more. I want you to step down to the level of the people, and I want you to talk to them straight right there, right there at that level. Now, as time goes on, we started to plan. We're planning a house church right now. We're holding services on Sunday, 10 o'clock. My son actually was the first one at altar call today. Uh, not today, but Sunday. And um, uh, the Lord, as I'm there meditating, the Lord says, I need you to get a lectern. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, okay, this is a reversal. And so I ordered a lectern from Walmart, and it's coming today. It's supposed to come tomorrow, but it's coming today. And um, he said, and, and I need this service that you're doing in your home to have a more church-like look so people can get a more church-like feel so they can be a little bit more comfortable about me being here and ministering through this. We don't have that distraction of them feeling like they're not physically in an edifice. And it's funny because when I got up and stood in front of the room without the lectern, all of a sudden the atmosphere changed. But you see, isn't that what happens when you focus on God, the atmosphere changes, right? All you have to do is start being obedient and immediately the atmosphere will start to change. And so at any rate, um, I'm talking about this because the concept of an altar and the concept of uh, an altar where service is focused to give glory to God actually is in the Bible. It's actually in the book of Revelations. We read it yesterday. We talk about every day in the temple courts, every day, every day. And so when we were talking about this, and then uh, and I was, I'm sorry, talking, I mean, in, in the spirit with God, as I'm communing with God this morning, trying to search in the spirit for what God wanted to speak unto the people today, the Lord brought this all back to my attention. And he brought it back to my attention, I believe, and you can test the spirits on this. How many of you know that when a human being speaks, you shouldn't just summarily take what they say? The Bible says, test every spirit. So you're automatically in disobedience if you're not testing spirits. Nobody should have a straight pass card to the center of your brain. No one should have a straight pass card to the center of your heart because you're called to test every spirit. And every word invokes spirits. So you should always be testing spirits. So you can test the spirit on this and you can see whether it's a prophetic utterance from the Lord and you can determine whether or not God is speaking to you. But as he was giving me this analogy, he called back to mind some realities that, like I said, we should have all been taught in the beginning. When the apostles met with the people every day in the temple courts, what did they talk about? They talked about Jesus. They talked about being like Jesus. They talked about the character of Jesus. How did the apostles behave? Pretty much all of them seemed to behave similarly, yes? And they all seemed to behave similarly, just like the behavior of Jesus. Uh -huh. And so when the apostles had those that were close to them, how do you think they behaved? They probably behaved a lot like the apostles. So this is where we got to start to get away from all the spirits of confusion and the spirits of disorder and start realizing that if we're maturing in Christ, we should be becoming more and more like Jesus in our character, in our personality, in our style. I don't really care what office you are, evangelist, pastor, prophet, teacher, doesn't matter. What should be happening 
as you're being sanctified is you should be becoming more and more and more like Jesus. I contend, since Jesus Christ is the apostle of the Father, that everybody is called to walk in an apostolic office or calling. So you say, everybody's an apostle? I didn't say that. I said everybody should walk in that calling, in that identity. It means a chief principal messenger, okay? And so who wants to be a secondhand messenger? Who wants to be the messenger of a messenger of a messenger? So the apostles didn't come to bring their message. They came to bring the message of Jesus. And Jesus said, I don't come to bring my message. I came to bring the message of the Father. And so those following the apostles didn't come to bring the apostles' message. They also came to bring the message of Jesus, which is the message of the Father. And now we see this chain of authority and this chain of communication that is taking place. So we need to get away from a lot of the confusions. I'm a prophet. I'm a teacher. I'm an evangelist. I'm a pastor. Yet you are those things as an office, but you should be being sanctified into the consciousness of the apostolic office of Christ. That's what you're being sanctified into. Whether you call yourself an apostle, whether God has ordained you to be an apostle, to go out and operate an apostle's mission is one thing. But your character should ultimately flow into the consciousness of the apostolic. Because the apostles, like I said, all acted very similarly. And the similar way they acted was the way they saw Jesus behave. Now back to this thing about the altar as God was ministering to me about the altar. He was saying, do you notice that the altar is where Jesus sits on the throne? We're going to read it again. We're going to read it again. We read it yesterday. We're going to read it again. Jesus is sitting on the throne. And the closer and closer you get to Jesus on that throne, the more and more powerful and awesomeness God appears. And so again, the father and father, you ever notice in a church, the people in the front of the room tend to be the pastor and his wife and an invited guest of the pastor. And it usually tends to be the people that are principally responsible for some major activity at the altar. We would like to believe in a church that the people with major activity at the altar are actually flowing in the spirit of God. Amen. And so just like in heaven, the closer and closer you get to the altar, the more serious it gets about God. And so your sanctification is about you moving from the back of the church to the front of the church. You ever notice that? Like people in the back of the church can get distracted. They can they can go on to their telephone. They can they look at who's walking to the bathroom. They look at who's wearing what. They might even turn their head to see who's coming in. The farther and farther away you are from the front of the room, the more and more potentials for distraction exist. And the closer and closer you get to the front of the room, the less and less likely you are for any distractions because you're almost at the altar itself and the righteousness of God and the seriousness of God is now more prevalent at the altar. You see where we're going with this? Can you see where we're going? So your sanctification is about you moving to the front of the room. Yes, that's what it's about. It's about you, if, there, if, there's, if there's 20 rows of pews, it's about you not being in the 20th row anymore. You're going to row 18, now row 16, now row 15, now row 10. You get it. God is moving you to row one. That's what Jesus wants. He wants you in the first row. And that means everybody behind you can see you, but you're going to be more focused, right? The closer you get to the front of the room, the more focused you are. And so when we talk now about this throne, 
Think about it. Your sanctification is about you entering into the throne room of God. So you should be getting more and more serious about your walk. You should be getting much more tempered in your character. You need to be getting stronger and stronger in your anointing. Spirits of folly now are starting to fall off. Spirits of anxiety and worry and fear are starting to fall off. And now you're getting to that place where you can see more readily the glory and the majesty of God. And your mission-focused character is now increasing. So let's read it again. Open up your Bibles, if you have them, to the book of Revelations, chapter 4. And it says, After this I looked, and there before me, we're in the first verse, was a door standing open in heaven. So that's you. You are looking into the glory, and there's a door standing open in heaven. And a voice is crying out to you like a trumpet saying, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. What must take place for you after you have entered into the spiritual church of God. Now we're not talking about a physical edifice. We're talking about a spiritual place. In verse 2 it says, at once I was in the spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven where someone was seating on us. So this is an altar. And then seated upon the altar, is Jesus. And the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, a rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. Now, so we have Jesus at the throne, right? And we have 24 elders around Jesus. There's nobody's closer. There's no, if we, we're, we're going to presume these 24 elders are resurrected men of renown. So 24 renowned men of God closest to Jesus. And they're dressed in white. White symbolizes the robe of the Holy Spirit in purity. And the crowns of gold on their head. The gold of the crown symbolizes incorruptibility, meaning the spirit of God and the wisdom of God. When a king wears a crown, right, when someone wears a crown, what it means is that they're ordained to, they are destined and ordained to rule. The crown around their head means that their thought process has been ordained and sanctified to be a ruler. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their head. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. This representing the glory, the majesty, and the awesomeness of God. Before the throne were seven lamps were blazing. These represent the seven spirits which lead the seven churches. You read about that in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. Also before the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, as clear as crystal. Can you imagine this church? Can you imagine? This is an altar. This is a church. I mean, sometimes we go to churches, right, and they have all the pastors sitting up on the front there, and then you have your lectern, your pulpit, and it's elevated. It's all symbolizing this church in heaven, this court, the court of God, the court of the king in heaven, Jesus' court. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. And so the four living creatures, I believe, represent the four principal characteristics of God. 
Okay, remember, man was made in the image of God, and all creation was made in the image of something glorifying, something spiritual. The eyes represent in uh, all-seeing, all-knowing, the omniscient qualities of God. And so they had eyes that could see everything, past, present, and future, front and back. So these creatures had the ability to see and comprehend the full glory of God past, present, and future. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man, and the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under the wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is, and who is to come. Now, if we stop right there, do you think they had time? Do you think they ever got distracted, went, looked at his cell phone, looked to see who was going to the bathroom, looked to see who's coming in the building? No, because the awesomeness of God from at the throne kept coming at them so overwhelmingly that all they could do was say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, and who is, and who is to come. Constantly repeating that over and over and over, all day and all night. What an amazing series of awesome revelations must have been hitting them. And it hits them every day, all day, day and night, forever and ever. Now, whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, which is happening all the time, right? The 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who live forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, O our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. You created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. So as disciples of Jesus Christ, as one submitted to God, that's you. You're mission-focused. This is what God is calling for of you. Every single day, mission-focused. You've got a mission on your job. You've got a mission in your home. You've got a mission in your community. You've got a mission with your family. See, we were not taught this from the beginning. In the beginning, we were taught to obey some sacramental movements, and we were taught to submit to certain uh, teachings, and we were taught to come in agreement with certain creeds in order to represent a certain denomination. We weren't really explained the revelation of the glory and the majesty of God to just spend all of your time marveling in God's glory. Now, I'm not talking about daydreaming. You know, you don't eat, you don't sleep, you don't pay your bills, you don't go to work. You just sort of sit there and marvel at the glory of God. But supernaturally speaking, you can marvel at the glory of God if in everything you're dealing with, you're looking for God's glory in it. Because there's a glory of God in everything that takes place on this earth. In every situation, in every circumstance, there's a glory of God. For the world, even, you know, some of the most famed scientists are always in awe of what scientific discoveries. They're always in awe at the science behind things. Well, who do you think is deserves the honor and the glory for the science behind things? God. And behind everything, there's a very intricate, very detailed, 
very orderly, very structured science, and it all has some symbolism as it pertains to spiritual things, as it pertains to God. And so we don't have this separation between our secular and our, uh, our, our spiritual. Everything is spiritual. And there's nothing that we do that's secular. We're not secular. So in everything we do, there's a glory of God involved in it. And the closer and closer you get to God, the more mature you're sanctified in God, the more you're in awe of God and in awe of God more consistently and more persistently. And you never spend any time away from the throne room. See, and so the time we spend away from the throne room is the time we're spending in some sort of immaturity. See, that's a tough word to receive. But it's because of a consciousness and an and improper orientation of our heart and our faith. We've been taught the faith in Christ errantly as some sort of external religious activity instead of as a spiritual internal relational reality that we're ever waking up to and we're growing in our awakening to the consciousness and the glory and the majesty and the grace of Christ Jesus. So that we're moving closer and closer to the front of the room, the throne room, and we're getting closer and closer. And the closer we get, the more awe-inspiring revelations we get. And the more awe-inspiring revelations we get just brings us to a place where we're holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. Wow. Amazing. Powerful. Anointed. A flowing of the glory and the majesty and the holiness of God. Now, as this wisdom starts to get to you, and as you start to see this, you're going to start feeling some resistance inside your mortal body because we have been toxified by this world, and we've been so toxified by this world that there are certain things in this world that we romance, and we need to lose our romantic attachment to certain things in this world and awaken to the spiritual reality that everything has to do with Jesus and whatever it doesn't have to do with Jesus has to go. It is short-lived. It has no future. And so as we start to gain that wisdom and as we start to flow in that wisdom, then we're getting stretched, right? And now we need our support group and now we need our prayer and our fasting and our word and our worship. And now we need all this connectivity and now we need it ever the more so to help pull us out of the commonplace that we might live in the holy place, sanctified and ever being more sanctified, closer and closer to the glory of Christ till the fullness of Christ is made complete inside our mortal bodies. And that's what they were spending every day in the temple courts teaching them. This is what Christ had to say. This is how Christ behaved. This is what Christ did. It was a complete singularity. The absolute focus of meeting every day in the temple courts was growing closer and closer to Christ and getting into alignment into the position with the Lord where you're submitted to him in every area, in every area, 
you're getting submitted, you're getting submitted, you're getting submitted in every area. You're coming into a greater consciousness of Jesus. You're becoming, your, your ways are changing. Your attitude is changing. Your, your language is changing. The way you speak is changing. The way you act is changing. The thoughts that run through your mind are changing. If they're not changing, then we're going to be praying and fasting and communing and learning and reading and until they are changing. And wherever we're stuck, we're going to sanctify and submerge ourselves into a process of change. You've got to believe in the change that God is bringing in your life. You've got to believe in the transformational movements that God... You've got to believe in what God is doing in your life. You've got to start to accentuate the activities that God is doing. And you've got to defocus on the things that God is taking away. God is tearing away things. He's pruning. He's cutting things off. He wants you to bear much fruit. He's giving you character and honor, personality. So that you might grow in the greater glory, in the greater glory of Christ Jesus. And wherever there's resistance, you've got to be still and pray, God, take these emotions away from me. Take these thoughts away from me. Take these ways away from me. Help me to be mission focused. Help me not to be distracted. Help me not to be diluted in my devotion and my commitment to you. And so then as you begin to ascend and you become more mission focused and you now become, you're now getting closer and closer to the four living creatures. You're now getting closer and closer to the 24 elders and you're now getting laser focused on the glory of God and you're starting to see the glory of God in everything. And now you're focusing on the teachings of the prophets like one who focuses like a light shining in a dark place. Days are dawning and revelations are hitting you and you're going from glory to glory. You're going to find that you're more focused than everybody else that's in your circle. And when you find that you're more focused than everybody else in your, your circle, then you've got to work to not make to, to prevent your circle from getting you defocused as you labor with them to help them to become more focused. And now you actually are a leader, whether you give it a title or not. Now you've become a leader. You haven't become a leader because somebody ordained you in a church. You haven't become a leader because someone appointed you to a position within a local congregation. You become a leader when you're sitting further up in the church service, closer to the altar, closer to the throne, and now you're more focused on the majesty and the glory of God. And you can talk about the focus of the majesty and glory of God. And you can minister about the intimacy of the relationship that you have with God. And now the people who are less focused are looking at your focus so that they can learn how to become more focused. And see, that's how you become a real leader in the house of the Lord. Now, like I said, we weren't taught all this stuff like we were supposed to. And so we've kind of gotten confused. We think that the person with the elder pin on their chest is the person. And we think that the person who has the title pastor is the person. And we think the person who has the title prophet or apostle is the person. But that's not the person unless that person is seated in a place that brings them a greater wisdom of glory and majesty than the people that God has assigned in their life so that they can bring them forward. This is apart from offices. So I'm not telling you everybody needs to prophesy or everybody needs to evangelize. We're talking about character now. We're talking about 
being able to minister about the relationship. We're not talking about operating in an office. There's a distinction between the two. But God is calling you to the deeper intimacy, to the deeper character points. And see, as you grow deeper in those things, those office things become like child's play. It becomes like children's, like reading a children's book. You know, because you, you now realize that this is the most significant thing. How close am I to the 24 elders and the four living creatures and the one seated upon the throne? So that the odds, the awesomeness and the revelations of God and the ongoing revelations and the ongoing intimacies and the ongoing glory of God is what is my focus? So I'm really not interested in whether or not I'm a prophet or an apostle or an evangelist. That's, I mean, I do those things because that's an office. But my focus is on getting closer to those 24 elders and four living creatures and closer to the throne so that the wisdom that's peeling off of that throne is hitting me and I am now just awe, in awe at the majesty of God. My, my, I'm walking in ordained aligned steps. I'm walking in the purity and the glory of God. I'm walking in this authenticity in the spirit. Now it ceases to matter whether people recognize me or don't recognize me or know me or don't know me or agree with me or don't agree with me. Because when the awe of God hits you, nothing else matters. When the awesomeness of God is hitting you, nothing else matters. And now you can speak from a covenant relationship at a deeper level. And when you talk to people, you talk with greater conviction and greater depth and greater understanding and greater wisdom like when Jesus walked the earth. The Pharisees were dumbfounded by Christ. They couldn't understand why he couldn't be intimidated. He could, they couldn't intimidate him. They couldn't back him in a corner. They couldn't scare him off. They couldn't run him away. They even tried to tell him Herod was trying to kill him and he still wasn't scared. So why? Because he operated with a certain level of intimacy and authenticity and wisdom of his mission and his assignment. And all that other stuff was like children's books. It was like child's play. Because the character and the awesomeness of God now is the big deal. The big deal is the relationship and everything that I'm hearing inside this relationship. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. I'm just being overwhelmed by the amazing awe of his glory and his majesty and his grace. Eyes to see and ears to hear so that you comprehend in the spirit and you see spirit things. You know, I've been in some meetings recently, different meetings with different saints. And in the meetings, um, in the past, I would go through psychologically trying to figure out all the nooks and crannies of all the problems. And God's like, no, you need to understand there's only two paths. I sent you to minister about something and they did not receive it. Now what you're seeing is the consequences of their failure to listen. Wow. You're complicating things. It's not that complicated. If I send you to say something, and now we're talking about you, if God actually sends you to tell somebody something, and they don't, what happens? You know, listen, now again, we're going to not talk about offices, because I think people get too caught up in that. Offices are given without repentance. I think there's too much focus on that, because offices are given without repentance. There's too many people taking pride in an office that they were they did not earn. It was un, It was unmerited grace that gave you that office. So there's nothing to brag about, okay? I'm talking now about the fact that the spirit of the gospel is the spirit of prophecy. So in a sense, you're all prophets, okay? Now, I want you to listen to this. 
If God actually tells you to go tell somebody something, what do you think happens if they don't listen? Well, I don't know. What happened in the Bible when a prophet was sent to tell somebody something and they didn't listen? So if God sends you to counsel somebody about something and they don't listen, what do you think is going to happen? If God actually gave you a word to speak and you spoke it and it wasn't received, what do you think is going to happen? Now, when you go, you're part of a sorting, sifting work of the Lord's. This is why we need to walk with great humility and be very careful the things we say because our words have power. And God sends you to minister to somebody. You're part of the sorting work of God. When the people, when the sons of Korah rose up against Moses, <laughs> soon as they rose up, Moses fell on his face because he knew, oh my goodness, what are you guys doing? Are you outside of your mind? Do you know what's about to happen? So we ought to walk with a great deal of humility because if God sends us to speak to somebody, share our faith, give a testimony, minister about something that's on our spirit that God put on our spirit to share, and you go and you don't do it, the person may suffer, but the blood will be on your hands. And if you go and you do it and they don't listen, then they may end up with some consequences. Fortunately, under grace, consequences don't necessarily mean the loss of their life. But they will end up with some consequences. I think everybody thinks in grace, God's just not doing anything. It's just, it's, 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 that's not really what happens. When, in grace, is God is the grace of God is about bringing you to God. So I don't know if uh, we have some evangelists here with gift of evangelism. Have you ever gone to witness somebody and you know God sent you to witness to them and you go and witness to them and they didn't receive it and then all of a sudden a whole bunch of bad stuff starts happening in your life? You go, wow, <laughs> should listen to me when I told them when I told them. Right, because you were sent by God. Some of you are getting sent by God and don't even know you're being sent by God because you don't even see it from that perspective. You don't see it from that perspective. You don't think you're a prophet because nobody anointed you prophet and nobody calls you a prophet and you don't and you can't fortune tell somebody's tomorrow, so now you're not a prophet. No, the spirit of the prophet, not every prophet for fortune told. A lot of times prophets correct character issues. Prophets speak to correct character issues. You're out of alignment with God because of this, 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 and this. And you need to repent. That's prophecy. <laughs> and if God sent you and they don't listen, there's consequences. And those consequences is grace. They walk in wisdom and knowledge. Amen. They walk, that's right. Prophets walk in wisdom and knowledge. They don't just, you know, they're not, you know, we got too much fortune telling going on in the body of Christ. It's not, we don't need a fortune teller. We need the prophet that walks in wisdom and knowledge that brings us into a deeper relationship with God. And so inside that intimacy, right, inside that glory, right, if God sent you, there's consequences. Now, consequences is grace. God is disciplining us as sons. So, you might say, well, oh my God, so you mean uh, if I go tell somebody something and if God sent me and they don't listen, they're going to get consequences? Wow, that's deep. No, the consequences is grace. Okay, you didn't listen to me. Now I got to put a little pressure on you. Why? Because you're going to need to listen to me to make it into heaven. So God's consequences is discipline. Discipline is grace. Grace is giving you the chance to repent to get to heaven.
see that. So you may not even know it, but God often uses you as a prophet. And then you go into the person and you're not talking with the infinite amount of confidence. Okay. And you need to be careful though. Don't go and say, God said, thus say the Lord. You know, wisdom would dictate as you're learning how God is using you. Okay. As you're learning, wisdom would dictate, I'm sensing some things in the spirit that I feel like God is ministering to me about this. This way, if you're in error, okay, and I've been in error before, so don't don't think I'm trying to browbeat you. I've been in error before. If you're in error, you don't end up saying something God said that God didn't say. You go, you know, I sense and say, that's why I hear you guys say, God sent me to share something with you. You can test the spirits to see if it's of God or not. Reason why I tell you to test the spirits is I don't want anybody to say, oh, well, he said God said it, so I did it, and that's it, and I don't know nothing. I didn't test the spirit. I didn't agree, but he said it was God, so I did it. No, no, I don't need that on my conscience. But when God tells me to say it that way, then I will say it that way. But for the most part, I just share like, okay, I'm sensing some things in the spirit, and I think you ought to see this, okay? Might want to consider this because... From what I understand about the character of God, this and this and this is out of order. Now, I, this is what, and then you can also share in sincerity. God gave me a vision. God gave me a dream. I saw this. I heard this. This is what I feel it meant. This is why I'm sharing this with you. There are ways to talk where you don't come off, thus say the Lord. You need to reserve thus say the Lord for when you're 100% sure. But there's a spirit of prophecy upon every soul that preaches the gospel. You understand? The spirit of prophecy is the spirit of the gospel. We should have been taught this at the beginning. I wish I was taught this at the beginning. And so you're moving closer to the front of the room. So now things are getting more serious. And now you're going to be more serious than some other people that are not as where you are. Nothing to brag about because it was unmerited grace that got you there too. But now that you're manifesting this deeper intimacy and this deeper character, you now become an effective leader. You can now help other people get to the glory of God. and You can help them to grow in his majesty and his strength and his understanding. And so every day in the temple courts, the apostles taught Jesus as they witnessed it with their eyes. And by teaching Jesus, the one who sits on the throne, they help you to get aligned in the spirit. So they didn't teach you carnal words of Jesus. They taught you spiritually aligning words in Jesus. That as your consciousness comes in alignment with those words, you are able to flow more consciously dividing spirits. What testifies to Jesus? What doesn't testify to Jesus? And through the constant application of this wisdom, you've learned how to discern good from evil. On a spirit level. And now inside that consciousness, God is using you in his sifting and his sorting work. Do not rejoice that the demons obey you, 
but rejoice that your name is written in the book of life. When people don't yield to the direction that God has given you to give them, pray for them. Pray for them. Don't go, hey, more wood for the fire. That's not the attitude because it could have been you. It could have been you. For some of us, it should have been us, except for unmerited grace. So when God uses me to share with somebody and it doesn't go well, they don't receive, I don't go, hey, well, I told them, hey, not my fault, blood off my hands, more wood for the fire. No, I grieve, I mourn, I get fearful for them. Because I'm like, oh boy, I don't think that was a good response. I'm going to be praying for you. That you get a wake-up wake call before you get the wake-up call. You know, there's a wake-up call that you get in this life. And then there's the wake-up call you get after you're dead. Now, the wake-up call you get in this life, that's a good wake-up call. The wake-up call you get after you're dead, that's a bad wake-up if you're getting a wake-up call after you're dead to answer to something that you did in this life that isn't covered by the blood of Jesus, you're going down. So we're the ones that God utilizes to give the wake-up calls and also to receive wake-up calls, right? Because None of us are perfect. And then in this way, we become part of the sifting and the edifying and the maturing work of the Lord, which of each one of us has been called to. And so as we meet every day in the temple courts, what we're going to learn is more and more and more about the character of Jesus. Now off the beaten path, something completely off the beaten path that I'm going to share with you, totally off the beaten path, is that God has been ministering to me um, about uh, the, the assignment that we don't, we, we've been assigned to do here at First Century Christ Church International Ministries. And so we are planting a local church here in the Bronx, as you know, where I started here in the house church. Um, and uh, my son actually was in tears. He's just, I was so blessed. He's 10 years old. He was in tears. At, and, and nobody was even, I wasn't even talking directly at him. I was just preaching the word. And he immediately got convicted in his heart. We prayed over him. We anointed him with some oil. It was an amazing service. And, you know, God has been ministering to us that we need to be more active. And, and, and I, I'm going to encourage you to, you need to be more active. You need to be more active, sharing your faith, testifying to the glory of God, encouraging the brothers and sisters. Be more active. Inside there is a blessing. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Hallelujah. So I just want to encourage you with that. And um, also I'm going to share this last piece. Saints, um, as with it, you know, it's, uh, bills come every month. So, I mean, I try not to bring this up too often. I don't think I've brought it up that much recently. So I'm going to bring it up now. Um, if anybody is able and, and, and has the ability to make a donation to the ministry, it's dollar sign FCCC ministries, the proper spelling of the word ministries. Um, that's the cash app for the church. If you're able to donate, by all means, your attendance is more valuable than your money. So at the end of the day, if you can't give, don't feel bad about it. God will empower you to be able to give at another time. If you are able to give, by all means, please do so. We do have financial needs on this side for the ministry. I'm going to type it here in the chat again, but um, hopefully I spell it right. because yeah. So that's the Cash App for the church. For those of you by radio and podcast, if you want to give, 
That's also dollar sign FCCC Ministries. Any donations given is utilized for the advancement of the kingdom of God. Father God, we thank you and we ask you to bless the saints that are here today, Lord. We ask that you continue to lift them up and to continue to prepare them for the full glory that you have for them in this life. Father, we pray that you utilize us to do what is right and help us to resist the idea of doing something wrong. Father God, we ask that you continue to build us up in the spirit, help us to flow in the anointing of his grace. We pray against every distraction, every lie, and every deception of the enemy that we might be able to move closer and closer into the person of Christ. May we meet every day in the temple courts, my God, learning more about the character of Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, and the body of Christ says, can we get an amen in the house of God? Amen. 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 Praise God. <laughs> Have a great morning, saints. You all, you all too.